I believe that we had Chris Humphreys that was unhappy with the Mavericks. It just happens that the, uh, we had the same, the same agent. And when my agent told me we're talking about Chris Humphreys and I actually said, hey, trade his ass to the Nets. I'll be happy to come back to the Mavericks in a heartbeat. Welcome back to another episode of Mavs Archives. I'm here today with a very special guest, someone I'm, actually, I'm thrilled to be speaking with. I'm here with Eddie Nahara. Eddie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. Of course, of course. I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk to you, and I'm glad we were able to connect and, and get this set up. So, you know, just the main purpose of this podcast is to connect with former Mavericks and have them tell their story and reminisce on their time with the Mavs and, and give fans an update on what they're doing now. So, one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about is I know you were growing up in Chihuahua, Mexico. You know, how did you get started playing basketball and what um, initially attracted you to the sport? Well, Chihuahua is really close to the border. I, I'm the youngest of seven. I grew up in, in the city of Chihuahua, although my birth certificate says that I'm in, from the outside of the uh, capital, small town which is where my parents uh, used to live. So a lot of people get confused of where I'm from. But at the end of the day, you know, since I was six months, I am registered in a small town outside of Chihuahua, but since six months, since I was six months old, I was living in the city. And the city is really close to the U.S. So mm-hmm. I grew up with mom and dad taking a uh, day trip to, uh, to, uh, to, to El Paso, Texas, where, you know, they would take us, kind of seeing a whole different world uh, as a kid, you know, when you get across the border, I mean, you see the differences in, in, uh, in the culture, you see the difference. I mean, it, everything was, it's kind of like going to Disneyland, to be honest, mm-hmm. when you're a, a young kid growing in Chihuahua and you get the opportunity mm-hmm. to go to the U.S. So the state, uh, the entire state of Chihuahua is more Americanized than, than most of Mexico. And with that said, you know, we kind of, started uh, seeing the the similarities in culture and you know we don't have any soccer in Chihuahua so that gave me an opportunity my dad used used to play baseball at a professional level oh wow Uh, I I, I usually went to the games I grew up uh, adoring the uh, the game of baseball however when I was 14 15 I grew like eight inches I mean I was six feet which I was still pretty tall for being a 14 year old uh, kid and when I went to 6'8", uh, then I started kind of practicing basketball. Mm-hmm. Although I practiced all sports growing up, my dad did a great job. And so did my mom and trying to kind of push us towards uh, being healthy and, and being active at all times. Um, but basketball was not in my mind up until 14. And when I started getting into it, then I started seeing how the state of Chihuahua had a big history of basketball. We had great basketball players that represented the state of Chihuahua in the, um, with the national team, and they also represented our city and our country internationally. So I started seeing kind of that there was a future in the sport of basketball. Uh, the more and more I got into it at a young age, there were so many tr- basketball tournaments throughout the city, and I played on every single one of them. <laughs> 
And I'm yeah. talking about I went to to the bad parts of the city uh, to play basketball against grown men, uh, street guys. I mean, I, I remember seeing street fights. I remember seeing fights in within the game. Uh, so you sort of had to be tough, you know, to play the game of basketball in my mm-hmm. state. Wow. That's how I get into it. Then once once I um, I got the uh, the little or the, the big support from my coaches, they kind of started, uh, you know, unfolding my eyes because they they saw the talent that I had. I mean, six eight at fifteen years old. <laughs> yeah, you, that's pretty talented, and I started playing really 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 well. But once I got their direction, uh, and then I started getting invited to this all the teams in within the state where they're more elite uh, basketball players. And we ended up going across the border to play in, in multiple tournaments in Las Vegas. I remember playing when I was 15. I remember seeing Felipe Lopez, Stephon Murray, <laughs> uh, all these guys when I was yeah. a kid. And then I started kind of uh, waking up and seeing the NBA. This is back in the day when, when the Bulls were dominating. Um, and that's how I got into it. And, and I, I fell in love with the game at a young age. I did go through a rough year. My first, very first year of playing the sport, I never played. <laughs> didn't have the, uh, the, the, I had the talent, but I didn't have the ability. Didn't know how to dribble. Didn't know, I didn't even know the, the, uh, the rules of the game. So it got to a point where I needed to practice and practice and practice and I studied the game. and. Finally, within a year, I made giant strides to the point that I could compete, uh, forget about competing in the U.S., competing in within uh, the state of Chihuahua. That's really impressive. And so was it some of those tournaments in the States that led you to eventually, because you became a uh, foreign exchange student when you went to high school in Oklahoma, right? Was that, was that for basketball reasons? And did you make connections through your, your experience of playing in the States? So again, going back to uh, playing in Chihuahua, uh, when I turned 16, I was already rep- playing state championships in, in within uh, Chihuahua. Then the way it used to work, they would the, whoever won the, the state championship had the opportunity to select the best players in within the state and then go play a national. Mm-hmm. Then after the national, whoever won the national, uh, the state, then the coach would select the best talent throughout the country and then go play international. So I, I, I got to play uh, the municipal tournaments that are run by, by pretty much uh, the schools and the government. Then after that, I got selected to play in the state championship. Uh, then after that, you know, we went to, uh, to the nationals and then we went to international basketball. But before I knew it, <clears throat> I started getting these opportunities to play basketball in, in multiple teams. And up until I was at a national tournament in Mexico City, I saw a coach, which turned out to be my high school coach. And he was the one that approached me and he told me, I mean, flat out, he said, you know, you, you're pretty talented. He asked for my age. Mm-hmm. At that time, I was 17. He asked for my uh, education level. Uh, he spoke Spanish, of course. I didn't speak English back then <laughs> at uh, 17 in this national tournament. But he flat out told me he's, he believed in my talent. And he said, you know, if, if you come 
to the U.S., not only you get a better education, but you could also have an opportunity to play uh, at, at the college level. As long as you don't turn pro, you don't do anything like that, you know, and, and he was willing to provide the uh, platform for me to come to the States. Once I uh, got together with my mom, won the national championship, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was the MVP of that national championship, which, you know, I, I averaged a bunch of points and rebounds. I mean, back then, uh, the, the game was easy because of my talent, especially in Mexico. I went home and I remember that I had an opportunity to, to go uh, outside of the city of Chihuahua to Monterrey to play. Uh, but at the same time, I had this opportunity to come to the U.S. And I was always intrigued about the culture. I was always intrigued about the language. And I spoke to my mom and dad and I, I asked them, I was like, what do you guys think about this opportunity? And they're obviously, they were motivating me to continue my education. So they said, I think it's a great opportunity if you go to the U.S. and learn English because basketball, you know, you can always come back and play basketball in Mexico. You always, you would always have the doors open at home. You can always come back, but you know, concentrate in, in getting better as a person, mm -hmm. more so than, than as an athlete. And that's when I made the decision to come across the border. I did it, uh, and I had great opportunities to play even professionally at that young age. Wow! But I had to, you know, make that decision, which was not an easy one. It was a big sacrifice, living you know, was, was, was feels comfortable in coming to a different country. But I did it with one goal, which was to learn English, believe it or not. Not to play <laughs> basketball, I came across, and I went to San Antonio. That was my first time, my uh, senior year of high school, uh, to learn in, uh, English, and I came as an exchange student. That's really interesting, and I think that's pretty cool that your main goal was was to learn English before before basketball. That was something I was not aware of. Um, speaking of your your high school career in San Antonio, I did find one little tidbit as I was doing some research. I read today that there was one game in 90, 1995 where in 22 minutes you had 40 points, 14 rebounds, eight blocks, five steals, and five assists in a high school game. I've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen a stat line like that before. <laughs> And, and I believe there was uh, some other ones that were pretty good. Really? Uh, yeah. but, but again, again, you know, you go based on talent. Yeah. And by then, by then um, coming from Mexico, that's why I mentioned that I played in all the tournaments in, in my, my home state because I was playing against grown men. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to literally fight, which kind of gave me an identity and I started seeing the game differently um, because you had to compete at a high level even when I was a young kid. So when I went to high school, uh, you know, the, the game was easier for me because there was, they were my age. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, this is not as hard. So therefore, my talent kind of took over. The game that you're speaking of, I mean, I must have dunked it probably 10, 12 times. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I was already kind of developed. My body was, was um, especially my lower body, was, was strong enough. I had the legs, the youth, had mm -hmm. the quickness. Uh, you know, before all my injuries, I was a, a pretty good athlete. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you compare it to the rest of the NBA, now you see, and it seems like we're getting better. Mm -hmm. uh, young guys are getting more athletic, they're getting faster and stronger. 
at a faster rate. Mm-hmm. So back then, yes, my uh, athleticism, I think it was mainly the reason I scored 40 points. Yeah. I those rebounds and why go those shots. Yeah. Um, and But it was an, an easy, I believe that it was an easy game because it wasn't a, a, a team that, that was ranked. There was another game that I had in, in high school in San Antonio. And I remember it was uh, East Central. They were ranked, I believe they were ranked like fourth or fifth in the nation in the U.S. And mm-hmm. we played against them. And uh, I think that I had similar numbers, probably less points, but I believe that I had somewhere in the 30s and like 25 rebounds. And, um, <laughs> but it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a game that, that counted because I was at, in a private school that was a public school, but therefore we, uh, you know, I, I, I started feeling more confident about my, my game because I, I, comp- I competed against one of the best teams in the nation in the U.S., and I was holding my own. <laughs> That's really impressive. And, uh, yeah, thank you for, for sharing your memories about that. So after your, your high, school cr- wrapped up, high school career wrapped up in San Antonio, what was the recruitment process that led you to Oklahoma? In the, uh, in the article that referenced that game that I mentioned, it listed a bunch of different schools that were recruiting you, but Oklahoma actually was not listed in there. So I'm kind of curious how you ended up at Oklahoma. So, you know, I, and again, going to a private school, uh, different conference, a little easier. Uh, the competition was not as, as good as going to a public school, of course, but we did play in multiple tournaments throughout the state of uh, Texas. Uh, I believe we're playing Killeen, Texas, against some really good athletes that ended up going to Texas A&M. Uh, went to uh, t- uh, Texas Tech. I mean, it was kind of a, a big deal, but that's when my name uh, was on the map, I believe, when I started playing a, against really good competition. And, and again, I was, I was holding my own and we were winning games. Um, that's when the recruiting letters started Mm -hmm. and if I back it up a little more when I came to my city of high school it was Halloween day so because I came late as an exchange student there was a process that I had to sit out for about two or three weeks before I could play a, a high school game and that process again you know by the time uh, November came around, you know, then you have the break, the school break. Uh, I had an opportunity to go back to Mexico. So I believe that the recruiting process was a little late for for me. Uh, there was a school that I, I was kind of eyeing because I went to San Antonio, my host family, that they did a, a great job with me. They kept me in line. They, they showed me great values and fundamentals when I was in San Antonio, they went to UT. So I, it was a school that I actually, you know, I didn't know anything about UT, but I, I was intrigued about it because my host family went there and it was closer to San Antonio. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they had given away old scholarships. I guess they had their recruits committed earlier. So there was no more scholarships. So they, they, they never offered me a scholarship. And then I started playing and playing and a little more and uh, my name start, started kind of coming up. Then I had, you know, your Dukes, I had your North Carolina, I had Indiana. Uh, you know, I remember talking to Coach K on the phone 
didn't speak English still, so I didn't know <laughs> what, what he was saying. <laughs> I just kept nodding, and I kept saying yes and agreeing. <laughs> uh, I remember talking to uh, Bobby Knight when he was with Indiana, uh, UCLA, you know, with uh, Coach Herrick. I mean, I, I remember, like, all these big schools coming in, and Oklahoma, the University of Oklahoma, came in late, and it was Kelvin Sampson. Mm-hmm. came in towards the end of the recruiting process and we made a connection he he's he, you know I'm, I'm a i'm a type of person that is that goes big on 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 that sixth sense you know where you get to know people I, I i think in my opinion i have a good feel when i meet people mm-hmm. whether they're they're sincere they mean well or they just basically tell me what i want to hear so they get whatever they want from me. Kelvin was very unique. Kelvin Sampson didn't know anything about the University of Oklahoma, but he was very honest and he was uh, telling me things that I, I held them accountable because the one thing that got to me, you know, I didn't have my father, I didn't have my mother in the US. I was on my own. Mm-hmm. I had my host family, and they certainly advised me to make the decision on my own. They didn't want they they wanted me to grow as a person by making a big decision, <laughs> and it was hard to choose the school. So I had to go with my gut, with my instinct. And when I met Kelvin, Kelvin Sampson, and he started telling me about the University of Oklahoma, it, it just felt right. And he did mention one thing that I really love him for saying that he just said if you come to the university of oklahoma i promise you that i will be like a second father to you a second father figure i would make sure that that you get the proper help so you can be a speak better english you get you uh your classes you get your education and i will make sure that you balance and make sure that you uh pay as much or more attention to your uh, degree than basketball. So I love that for him and, and I love him since the day I met him and was still in contact and mm-hmm. he made a big, huge um, decision in offering the scholarship and I, I took it. Well, I think you made the right decision. I know you had a, a really successful four years there and it's funny, I, I'm a, uh, I'm 33. And so, you know, I, I remember, and I, I grew up in Dallas and sometimes on the local TV, they would show big 12 games um, back then. So I would see an OU game every now and then I was definitely much more of an NBA fan, but would occasionally watch some college, college basketball. So I remember watching you and just, I remember noticing how your effort and your enthusiasm and everything. So that definitely made an impression on me. But the, the other thing I remember about your college career was in the tournament, your collision with Mateen Cleaves um in the in the tournament game and um I know you got knocked out and, and had a concussion ultimately ended up going back into the game <laughs> what do you remember about about that game and, and that sequence and you know how you felt after that's something I'll never forget because it was a pretty uh it was it was a serious collision <laughs> well first of all we beat Arizona and I know Jed Terrier uh, because we we ended up being teammates Jason Terry told me that he hated me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, that same year, 
that happened, the, uh, the, the concussion happened, we went through Arizona. We were the 14th seed, I believe, beat the Wildcats with Jed, Jed Terry, Al Jefferson, uh, Michael Wright. I mean, they had a really good team. Mm-hmm. I created a boost of confidence. I had a good game, hit a three to, uh, to, get, to get the score within one. We still down one, got an office rebound, put it back. So after that game, I have nothing but confidence. Then we, we face UNC Charlotte, kill them in the second round. And then the big team, Michigan State, comes in place. We're in the uh, uh, Sweet 16 in St. Louis. I remember exactly everything that happened. And I was talking to uh, my coach, Coach Sampson, and I told him, I said, you know, I feel really confident. We, we can beat these guys. They were very similar to us. They were, uh, there was not, no glamour on neither team. It was all about outworking your opponent. It was all about toughness. It was all about making plays when they count and making sure that you play every possession of the game. So I knew that we could beat him. And then, um, you know, I was talking to one of my teammates. I was like, we're going to win this, trying to kind of mm-hmm. – the only way that we could even lose to the Michigan State is if, if, if one of us get hurt. And it's almost like, you know, I brought it onto myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we started the game, and we actually – it's going up, you know, back and forth. We go up, tie it up. We went down. But we had the game where we won it. And I'm sure that we're thinking the same thing. And that was our goal. Let's keep it as close as we can because we know how to win ball games down the stretch. And in the second half, I remember my team, Cleese, and I had this conversation with them because uh, we, we both play against each other in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I remember him looking at me. So the play was he was harassing our point guard, Michael Johnson, and he was pressing full court. And I got tired of it. And I told Michael, I was like, hey, you know, slow down and speed up. I'm going to set up a screen of this kid. And I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm, I lay, lay him down so he can back off off of you. That way, you know, you're more comfortable bringing up the ball. And this isn't during a timeout. He's like, perfect. Let's do that. I need some help. Okay. So I inball, um, inbounds the ball, pass it to Michael, our point guard. Mateen Cleaves gets onto him like a sticker. And he's going, I run all the way to half court, turn, thinking I'm going to blindside it. Back then, there was no rules that you, have, you can allow somebody, you have to allow them to, for them to see you. Mm-hmm. But he did see me. And as soon as I saw, uh, we made eye contact, he sped up. And the problem was that I decided to protect my chest rather than go over here. Mm-hmm. Because most of the time, your technique, when you send a screen, you want to protect your, your male area so <laughs> you don't get you yeah. know, hit over there. Yeah. So I, and he was a running, a running back. He, he was built like a running back. And he was very strong, fast. I mean, he was an NBA player. Mm-hmm. So we made eye contact, and he sped up. And I was like, okay, now I'm standing, and I have to put my both arms here to to hold him, except he went under uh, my arms, hit my 
my uh, chin went out cold. Yeah. I thought that I, you know, was trying to kind of regain consciousness. Then I passed out for a few seconds and I started like seeing people pulling me and, and at that particular moment, I was out of it. I have no idea what happened. They take me back. I do remember them asking me so many questions of where I was. And it took me a little while to kind of come back. But as soon as I, you know, I, I knew the answers, I was like, wait a second, we, we're playing a game right now. And I know we is an important game. I need to get back. They wouldn't allow me to get back. And I, all of a sudden, I'm like, I have to get back. My teammates, they need me. No, I went through protocol. They asked me more questions. Obviously, I had uh, 18 stitches. And, and uh, they didn't do it at that moment. They wanted to stitch me up. And I said, no, I need to go back. And basically, I forced myself to go back. And I remember what I running back. The only thing that I remember is like the noise. The crowd was <laughs> somehow, the roar of the crowd was so energetic. And I remember that. But I don't even remember talking to Coach Samson. I mean, I, I remember like clearly that, I went into the core and my legs were not there and neither was my brain. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while. I had to go back and watch the film multiple times. And now the reason I remember is because I watched the film, mm -hmm. but I went right past Coach Sampson, our bench, checked into the game, went into it. And I remember that uh, I inbounds the ball once again and I almost fell on my own. Because oh, wow. my legs were really woggling and it, it was just a weird feeling. And, and then we ended up losing the game by, I don't remember, but it was a close game. But I, it was just a weird experience that I went through. And, and the thing that I regret the most um, is that, you know, I, I was not able to, to help my teammates advance because Michigan State ended up winning the championship. And I thought that, that was the team to beat to be able to win a, a national championship with with the uh, University of Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, um, that was definitely uh, yeah. The, I remember they won the championship that year, and um, but you know, overall, I know you had a very successful college career. So once your once your college career wrapped up, and I know that you were originally drafted by Houston in the second round, traded to the Mavs. What what was draft night like for you? The first thing that I need to clarify, the draft, yes, the Houston Rockets picked me, and I actually worked out for the Rockets, um, but I was in contact with uh, the Mavericks. Oh, the okay. Time. And, uh, and uh, when I say the whole time, I mean when the draft started. They, um, they, they didn't say anything, but they were in contact with me telling me, we're going to get you. We're going to draft you. Yes, be ready. Get ready. But obviously, as the first round went on and I'm not being selected, and I started seeing, okay, the Mavericks got the 30, I believe, the 31st pick. If they're telling me maybe they're going to take me at 31st, but they didn't. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on? And then eventually Houston got me, but I never spoke to Houston, and I'm like, okay, this is where I started my career. 
and then obviously I got the phone call uh, by the Mavericks and they told me we're gonna get you, uh, we're gonna uh, trade for you with Houston and they wanted this kid and they ended up doing what we usually do because that, that's my job now, yeah. uh, you know, getting creative to, mm -hmm. to do what Houston wanted. They wanted Dan Lange and the Mavericks wanted me, which, you know, I was happy. At the end of the day, uh, the emotions they go through that draft process, the uncertainty, just like anything else, you know, you get anxiety, you get depressed because nobody's calling your name. Mm -hmm. They invited me to the green room. <laughs> I declined it because I never heard that somebody was going to draft me in the first round. So I didn't want to be there just to be there. And, you know, once the Maris called me and they announced it, I mean, the excitement, then the relief of, okay, I know where I start my career now. I know what I have to do now. I'm happy. I'm excited. And I know that I'm going to have to work my butt off to make the team because I was not a first rounder. Mm -hmm. I was a second rounder. But at the same time, I was, you know, grateful. I was, uh, I had an opportunity to, to speak to Donnie Nelson on the phone when, when and he's the one that gave me the news that they were going to trade for me. And now Donnie is the president of the Dallas Mavericks and a dear friend of mine. I was incredibly grateful for the opportunity they were giving me at that particular moment. I knew it was a long journey. Uh, a lot of turbulence throughout the journey with not knowing English, with sacrifices, with, you know, great things at the University of Oklahoma. But at the same time, I knew I just, I was going to start from, from level zero. And that's what I did. Yeah, that, that must have been an incredible, incredible moment for you and, you know, your, your family and everything. So leading up to your rookie year, and this is something I wanted to ask you, I'm a and Mavs history fan. I, I love all the like just little details and everything. So I found a picture of it's of you, Atan Thomas, Courtney Alexander, Donnell Harvey, and Mark Cuban at a press conference, all holding up your jerseys. And in the picture, your jersey is actually number two. But we all know all Mavs fans know you were number fourteen. So was number two the number you originally wanted? And if so, how did why did you end up switching to number fourteen before your rookie year started? Uh, no, I uh, I believe that they didn't ask me for one number. I oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I never answered that question. So they just kind of uh, threw in a, a number for the press conference. Mm -hmm. Originally, I, I wanted number 21. That's where I wore in Oklahoma. 21 is a family number. My dad wore 21, you know, when he played baseball professionally in Mexico. 14 was my number with the national team. Hmm. So 21, I couldn't get with the national team. And I always was intrigued about number 14. I liked it. I, uh, I used it with the uh, national team. And I just had the opportunity because 21, Greg Buckner had number 21. Yes, yeah. And there was no way he was going to give it up. <laughs> um, so I, I did get number nine that I also like, but then Howard Ashley wanted number nine. 
And it just, at the end of the day, everything aligned to be number 14, which was um, another favorite number of mine with the national team. And I represented it, um, you know, I represented that number throughout the, uh, the world before I even got to the NBA. So I was happy with it. That's yeah, okay. Well, yeah, that's neat. I, I enjoy hearing things like that. So leading into your rookie year, opening night, I remember watching this game and uh, you started your very first NBA game as a second round pick. I read that you were the first Don Nelson second round pick to ever start opening night. So I thought that was pretty neat considering his longevity in the NBA. I want to know, like, how did you find out you were starting that night against the Bucks? And, you know, what was your reaction? Were you nervous? What was going through your mind when you're, you know, going from some guy thinking you're going to have to, you know, work your butt off to make the team to find out you're starting the very first game. I can't imagine the the whirlwind you must have been going through. Well, first of all, that's, that's news to me. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that I was uh, the first second rounder that the Nelly started in his coaching career. Yeah, I read that today. Yeah. Cool. yeah. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's one of my favorite coaches. He's such a great guy. I, I, um, I miss those days. I miss him. I think that he just turned 80 years old. Oh, wow. In Maui, of course, he's uh, yeah. living life. But he, last time I saw him, he, he looked really, really good anyways. The answer to your question, they, so training camp started, and I did what I do best, try to outwork. Because sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't work. I tried to at work all of my teammates, everybody, including the coaches, everybody in the arena. Wanted to be the first one to be there, wanted to do extra more than anybody else, to the point that they had to slow me down. <laughs> <laughs> and if you slow me down, then I still will would rebel against the coaches and you gotta slow down and even teammates like, hey, what are you going so hard in practice? I don't have a guaranteed contract. I have no option. And even so, I think that we play for the fans, and that was my feeling. You know, they deserve everything that we got, and they deserve, uh, and, and obviously the respect of the coaches is, is big on, on my end. So out of respect, you, you have to do your job and take it seriously, and you have to do it efficiently, and you have to do whatever it takes to accomplish the number one goal that we'll have, which is winning. The uh, training camp was really good for me. The first game was against the Houston Rockets, the team that passed on me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was, there was 19 of us in the roster. There was only two spots, uh, 13 guarantee contracts already on the roster. Back then it was only 15. You can only have 15. And there was two spots for the rest of us. Okay. That game really dictated uh, my career and the start of my first game ever for Nelly. I remember that we played the Houston Rockets and I was the last one to come on uh, in the game, to check in the game, which I was a little upset, hurt, because I was playing really hard. And maybe Nelly wanted to give some of the other guys a chance first. He wanted to look at him before making a decision. But I was, we, we got down 20, 23 points 
against Rockets. I go in and I said, screw it. I'm going all out. <laughs> Even if I fall out, I'm going to go 100 miles per hour. I'm going to concentrate on defense, rebounds, and whatever gets to me, I'll score. I'm not going to worry about shooting. I don't have to prove anything. Or then I need to make a difference. We're down 23. There's four minutes left in the second quarter. I need to get in there and change the pace of the game and make sure that we that I do something positive for my team. So long story short, I scored five points, get like five rebounds in within four minutes. And now we're only down 17 going into the halftime. Then Nelly comes in really upset with everybody but me. And he's he looks at me, he says, you start in the second half. From that point, continue with the same intensity, the same uh, willpower to win the game, no matter what the score said. Sometimes it's a lot easier when, oh, we're down 20, let's wrap it up and let's ice down and we'll move on and we'll play better the next game. No, I ended up going all out, ended up with 23 points, like 12 rebounds, eight assists. But the most important thing is that we won the game. After that, Nelly was very surprised and impressed at the same time with my performance. Uh, then I would play Phoenix. I uh, had another good game. Then I had a growing issue and they guaranteed my, my two-year contract. And they told me, don't worry about it. You made the team, now get healthy. So I took like maybe a week off. I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to fall behind. Mm -hmm. My goal was to really get in the rotation. I, I didn't think I was going to be starting Yeah, <laughs> the first game of the regular season. But when I got back, we played uh, against – my last game was against Miami of the preseason. And then Nelly came to practice, and he asked me, do you know what your plus-minus is? And I looked at him, and I was like, I don't even know what the plus-minus is. <laughs> I don't look at the stat sheets. I was not the type of guy that was always, because psychologically, I think that affects you. I mean, I, a lot of times I was tempted to, to look at it. And towards the end of my career, I, I would look at it for fall purposes, for, you know, to see where we're missing, whether maybe it's rebounding that we're, we need, or maybe we don't have enough possessions or we're trying to roll over, but never to look at my own stats. So Nelly goes, your plus minus is pretty good. And he goes to me and, and he says, I think I'm going to start you. You deserve to be starting tomorrow. And I'm looking at him and I was like, what? Are you sure? <laughs> and he said, yes, you deserve it. You earn it. I think that, um, you know, it's going to be good for you. He came to me with Milwaukee and he said, okay, you're going to start. This is what I want you to do. And I'm looking, I was like, whatever you need, coach. We have Sam Cassell. And when he goes right, he scores every time. And he likes to go on the right side of the floor. I want you to shadow him full court and send him to his left. I don't want you to do anything else. I want you to see if he can follow through with this, uh, with this uh, game plan. And I'm like, the coach is telling me, which at, at that time, you know, I'm – I'm young. I thought he was crazy, but Nelly was known for 
thinking outside the box, what it seems to be crazy for somebody else, you know, is brilliant. Because at the end of the day, the game plan, I was willing to execute the game plan. I shadow Sam Cassell, send him to the left side of the floor. And, and obviously the, the, my teammates knew that. So we ended up putting him on the left and he was less effective. He was less comfortable running the team. And that game plan we executed and we ended up winning the game, which obviously gave me the opportunity to start the following game against Indiana. But then he goes like, okay, now you got Jermaine Neal. And then you, you took comes in. Now you got Carvalho. And I'm like, wait a second, am I the, the whooping boy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or am I or my or am I actually a good defensive player? And and my coach is trusting me. So I, I kind of figured it out. I was like, okay, this is what I need to be doing rather than concentrating on, you know, shooting a three or shooting from outside, trying to prove that I can shoot the ball and, and score points. Because I did it when, when I was at the University of Oklahoma. And that's how I got the opportunity to play for Nelly to start the first game and to play throughout those first four years for the Mavericks because I was willing to do whatever it takes to win the game. You definitely were. I mean, you endeared yourself to the fans at Reunion Arena your first year, and then the, uh, obviously, American Airlines Center after that. And you were always just so exciting to watch. And I, I really think you, your blue-collar style just really resonated with fans. And I know I appreciated you, and we all did. So that was, that was an exciting time for the Mavs. Um, you know, your rookie year was uh, – when you look back at it, I remember seeing things in the news. It was just like a, the Mavs were, had so much international talent at the time. It was you, Dirk, Steve Nash, Wang Juju, and even Obina Akizi. Or was it beneficial for you just to play in a, in a city that had a big Hispanic demographic or a big Mexican population? And, you know, how, how, how was your relationship with the fans at that point? But, you know, my rookie year didn't really have a relationship with the fans. Uh, I, I kind of gave them a taste of what I could do, but then eventually I kind of in the doghouse and <laughs> did not play as much, of course. Uh, then we made some trades, and then I have some other opportunities, and I ended up playing in the playoffs a few games, and I did well at that. But, you know, I nothing, you know, I, I was committed to, to my job. I wasn't exploring Dallas at that time. I wasn't going out back then. I mean, it was all, all I ate was basketball. Mm -hmm. So it was going from my house to practice facility, to the house, to the arena, reunion arena, back. So I, I was never out and about, which I thought it was good. Uh, I didn't have the luxury. I didn't have the... Uh, the guaranteed contract for six years. I didn't have any of that. Eventually, and I was young still. I mm -hmm. was really young. So, I, I, you know, my, my um, priorities were more so staying at home, do as much work as I can, and rest, take care of my body. But to be honest, what made it so much easier for me in the relationship with international players or having international players with the Mavericks was incredible because we have so many things in common. And Dirk was the first one and Steve was the, 
Dirk and Steve were the first ones to to really took me under their wings and kind of show me around and, and, and literally teach me the game of basketball. I mean, I started learning from them and I would always be grateful for, for them being great teammates to the point that they, they don't see you as competition. They see you as, as an element to the team and therefore they're, they're there to help you develop because at the end of the day, they, you know, they, their vision was to, to get to the playoffs and to win a championship. And they knew that by helping me get better um, and study the game of basketball, was gonna, I was going to help them. And we just made a connection. Uh, Juan Juju, I kind of took him under my wing because he came a little later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Akisi was um, an, an incredible friend and, and teammate, but he was not playing as much. He, he was hurt, I believe. So, but you know, the international connection made it made my transition so much easier from the University of Oklahoma to the Dallas Mavericks. The fans, I didn't really have a chance to be um, around them my first year, but later on, my second and third year, I mean, then that's when I became a, a little bit more known in the area. Mm-hmm. And yes, I mean, it was just incredible just going to the grocery store and, and, and meeting new people, seeing new people, people reaching out to me. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, when you're 23, 24, even 25, you're still a young kid and you need uh, that connection and you need help in multiple areas so you can do your job at a high level. That, you know, I really enjoy hearing things like that. Um, so... Yeah, you know, we went through your rookie season, your second season, um, things became even more excited around Dallas. And, you know, those first two years you really saw, or that second year you saw like some significant playing time and were a huge part of the rotation. I know you had injuries on and off during your, your time in Dallas, but, you know, what do you remember about, about that second year, that first year in American Airlines Center? And, um, you know, now the Mavs aren't a surprise anymore. They're force to be reckoned with in the west and you know what what was that experience like as a as a second year player on a on a contending team well my second year i cracked the uh the rotation and the lineup so when anybody was missing and i remember we traded for juan howard and i grew up watching the fat five i grew up watching juan with the with the bullets Washington Bullets, now the Wizards. And obviously I, I actually have some admiration about Juwan as, an, as a basketball player because he, he was very good. However, he went down with an injury and that created the room for my minutes. And when Juwan was in the lineup, we were a little inconsistent meaning that we would win one game, lose two, win three, lose four. And obviously not that it was Juwan Howard, but it wasn't a good fit between our big sensation, Dirk Nowitzki, <laughs> and Juwan Howard. Because Juwan demanded the ball on offense, and, and Dirk was up and coming developing. So I, when Juwan went down, I started playing the minutes. I started, I started a few games. 
And again, Derek and myself, we were a complement for each other. I wasn't as good offensively as Juwan, but at the same time, I didn't demand the ball. Mm -hmm. And I was going to clean the glass, and I was going to be a slasher, and I was going to be following game plan and the coach's um, scheme. So that created, and we started winning games. It's the most important thing because if you don't win games, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that consistently, because at the end of the day, you can have a bad game, but you got to bounce back the following game. You have to have the right mindset to bounce back and take it as a challenge to win the following game and kind of start a, a winning streak, a streak. And Juwan being out gave me that opportunity. We won a lot of games. So that's when Nelly and the rest of the coaches and not the fans get involved. They started seeing my value. And I was on the rise. And I all of a sudden, I started adding a little bit more offense to my limitations. I never went out of character, which I thought it, it helped tremendously. Then I started, Kiki Vanderway was, was my uh, player development coach and he was brilliant. He was the best at teaching you tips and teaching you how to attack the basket. And obviously he developed my, my shooting, but that team did not need a shooter. We had Dirk Nowitzki shooting the ball, Michael Finley shooting three, Steve Nash shooter, Vanexo shooter. I mean, we have all these guys, uh, and actually, Juwan got traded for Vanexo. Yeah. But we had all these shooters, and they needed a slasher, and I just followed. Long story short, I thought I, I finally uh, redefined my position. I, I feel that I kind of started opening eyes for the teams that a, a player like myself uh, a tweener, they call it, <laughs> you know, he, uh, not your typical 6'10 power forward or your 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, small forward. That guy in between, you know, is needed on every team. That guy that is going to go after all the rebounds, is going to defend, is going to be smart on defense, is going to follow the game plan. All those things started kind of align. They align for me in really gave me a, a career and I was getting so much better when my left knee, my third year really gave up. And I remember that injury and it was Brian Russell. They took a charge on the break. Who takes a charge on the break? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never did that. I did it in the pain and all that, but he took yeah. a charge on the break um, that he hit my knee with his leg. My leg went back. I mean, I torn all the uh, college and when that happened I was so bummed out because I was on the rise we were doing so well now the Mavericks are on the rise we made it to the players my rookie year my second year we made it to uh, the second round mm -hmm. but we got beat by Sacramento so the third year was going to be the best year yet and it was we get to the Western finals yeah and unfortunately you know uh, Dirk got hurt, his knee got hurt, and, and, uh, and, and I was literally playing in one leg as well, but at the end of the day, that's when, when you, you kind of understand that injuries are part of the game, and a lot of times it takes some, you know, some injuries to, for you to advance and to win a championship, 
kind of like Toronto last mm-hmm. last year. But with that said, I mean, I I was blessed and I was grateful that even for the first four years with the Mavericks, I consider myself that I had a great start in my career and I certainly gave all of my effort to the Mavericks, including my body. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I know that the injuries took a toll, especially the last half of your the last year that you were in Dallas. But there was a, a bright spot about six years later after some time in Golden State, Denver, and the Nets. You got to come back to the Mavs and finish out the last half of the 2010 season. What was that like for you coming back here? Um, you know, a lot of the faces had changed, but there were still some of the same people around. You know, what, uh, what, were you excited to come back at that time, at the, the latter half of your career? Well, first of all, when, when you have a success and you're winning ballgames, you think that you're untouchable. You, you feel that you, you can play in any team. Mm-hmm. And you start thinking, like, well, maybe I need to go to a different team so I can play more minutes and score more points. I can be more involved. And it's not just me. Everybody goes through that. And I had this conversation with uh, Josh Howard at one point. I actually, my fourth year with the Mavericks, mm-hmm. we ended up acquiring um, Walker and Jameson. Yes. Antoine Walker, Antoine Jameson. So there was no room for me because we had two of one of the best players at that particular position. But again, it didn't click. <laughs> and I remember that I... I would always play the fourth quarter because that's when it was winning time. And even Steve used to call me the closer. He used to uh, call me Mariano Rivera. Because uh. <laughs> I wouldn't play for three quarters. And then Nelly would be okay. Nelly was, Nelly was trying to figure it out mm-hmm. and make sure that they, they played and they played good as a team. There was a good chemistry. But for three quarters, for so many games, it, it was okay. But then we would always be down. And he needed needed to play in the fourth quarter. So it was actually incredible to to feel like that, that Mm -hmm. that I was needed in the fourth quarter. So when Golden State, and again, the Mavericks, we needed a a big man to to guard Shaquille. I couldn't do that. I don't Mm -hmm. think anybody could. (laughs) Eric Dampier was the target. Mm -hmm. I feel, uh, you know, I like the fact that Golden State wanted me in the trade. I I know that when I spoke to uh, to the Mavericks, they didn't want to let me go. But to make the trade, they wanted me in the trade. And at the same time, I was like, hey, you know, this might be a, a, a good opportunity for me. Not the case. Denver was a good organization, but not Dallas. And I had a great time in Denver. Once I left the Mavericks, I value what Mark Cuban is all about. I value what the Mavericks are all about because, and the city of Dallas and our fans, completely Mm -hmm. different than the rest of the NBA. And that's (laughs) why I loved it. So going back to your question, when I'm playing for the Nets Mm -hmm. and, and literally I'm not playing, they're not using me and they're paying me all this money. I believe that we had Chris Humphreys that was unhappy with the Mavericks. It just happens that 
the uh, we had the same the same mm-hmm. agent, and when my agent told me we we're talking about Chris Humphreys, and I actually said, "Hey, trade his ass to the Nets. I'll be happy to come back to the Mavericks in a heartbeat." <laughs> and even my agent goes like, "You're not gonna like it. You're not gonna play for the Mavericks." Right now, you you with the Nets and you're not playing. You're unhappy, and I'm like, I'm with the Nets. We have the worst team, and I don't play. I mean, if I'm gonna play, I'd rather be in a great organization, a great environment, winning environment with the best fans, and not play. I'll be happy to sit on the bench, keep stay quiet, and do my job, and just wait for the right opportunity. In fact, I went as far as telling my agent, "Don't worry about playing." I'll take care of that. (laughs) (laughs) So when the trade happens, Chris Humphreys was happy with the Nets. I was in, I was in heaven coming back to the Mavericks. Everybody saw it. And the first one who told me was Jet Terry. I was smiling the entire time when I got (laughs) to the Mavericks, to the practice facility. I'm known with them, uh, well, well aware of the American Airlines. I know where everything is. I know the uh, security people. I know everybody around the organization. <laughs> and I was smiling. And, and even Jed, after he told me, hey, you know, I hated you because you nagged me out of the first round in the NCAA in 1999. But, you know, now you're my teammate. I, I got to ask you, like, why are you always smiling? <laughs> and I said, Jed. First of all, we had the best job in the world. And second of all, this is the best organization in the NBA. Trust me. Going back to Josh Howard, he was unhappy when I got here. And you know, there was some unhappiness in in multiple areas. Uh, And I actually talked to Josh. I said, Josh, you need to change your attitude. Because sometimes he would be like, yeah, you know, if they trade me, it'll be better. I was like, you're wrong. You're going to suffer because when you go and test the other institutions in the, in, within the NBA, Dallas, I'm telling you, I've been there, done that, by far the best. <laughs> so... Imagine the emotions and my feelings when I get, got back to Dallas. I was in heaven. I loved it so much. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, it only lasted another, you know, half a season. And then same scenario, I had to get traded for Tyson Chandler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that one which which I'm not mad at that because Tyson yeah. did a great job uh, for, for our Mavericks. <laughs> yes, yes, he really did. So <laughs> that, that, That's been... Uh fun uh just you know hearing you talk about your time here and everything i really enjoyed hearing it. i just got a couple more questions for you and so uh i, I really i really appreciate it one i meant to ask you earlier and i i completely forgot so opening night of your final season in dallas in la you played and so you wore the trash bag jersey that night the silver shiny <laughs> jerseys what were your thoughts on those jerseys at the time Look, I'm a very positive, optimistic person. And I was never into fashion. Uh, and I learned that from Dirk, Steve Nash, Michael Finley. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I played for the Nuggets, 
Carmelo Anthony and, and Alan Iverson, they were more worried about how they look and how the mm-hmm. uniform and their sleeve and their headband and all that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, you know, I learned from the best. So when the jerseys came in, even, <laughs> even the most optimistic person was criticizing the jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, what in the world is this? Yeah. <laughs> and then it didn't, it didn't help that you have Dirk with this sense of humor, like what in screaming out loud in the locker room, like, why are we wearing this crap? No, this, we need to put him in the trash and this. So then that triggers a bunch of other negativity when it comes to the jerseys. And then, okay, I'm like, look, it's not so bad. They actually look pretty good. Let's put the shoes <laughs> on, let's go warm up. So then I made the mistake of getting the jersey on to warm up. When I come back, now the jersey, the color, which was really off, I don't even know what color that was. <laughs> like a pewter, I don't know. When it gets wet, it gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm looking at this big stain. I, I, I felt like I looked so filthy and dirty. And I was like, okay. And actually, Mark intervened uh, because he, he didn't like him either. Yeah. And he was the first one to say, like, this is the only time that we were in these jerseys. And that was the only time that we were yeah. jerseys. <laughs> You're right. That is the only time. But I had to ask you your um, question about that. And so then just a couple more questions here. So I know once your playing career wrapped up, you, you had the opportunity to coach the legends. And now uh, a scout with the Mavs. What, what are some of your day-to-day responsibilities with the Mavs like today? I mean, when, when the season is actually in session, not, not with everything we're going through right now. Well, if you thought, if I thought that playing basketball was the best job in the world, the scouting part is even probably just as good. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you get to, uh, to be a part of the process of building a team. And I was in Mexico City when I told, um, I told Donnie Nelson, uh, we actually, we, we had the bar waiting to, uh, to go to dinner and we, decided to sit down and talk for a minute and I had to tell him I said you know what uh, I have to tell you I am impressed but I'm proud of the job that Donnie and Mark because Mark is involved in the decision making and the rest of the staff of course because we do have a lot of scouts that work really hard on the road um, and and everybody pitches in to build a winning team. Normally it takes anywhere from three to seven years if you want to take the Philadelphia 76ers project where they went through multiple executives. Uh, they had a bunch of young guys. They went through a lot of losing years, a lot of pains. Mm-hmm. And we did it literally in two years which is incredible and all the credit goes to to donnie obviously mark for allowing and mark being mark you and being a part of the decision making but also the uh 
the scouts, uh, the, the entire front office, there's a lot working uh, towards the same goal. My day-to-day is, is, uh, is literally watching basketball, NBA basketball games, evaluating performances, making sure that you follow with those performances, giving your opinion on their talent, uh, on their work ethic. But it goes beyond that because you need to do a thorough uh, background check in terms of you know, what, what kind of mentality he has. Is he a good teammate? Is he coachable? Uh, injuries are a big part. We want to know everything there is to know about that particular player that we're looking because at the end of the day, when the decision is made, whether it is whoever makes the decision, excuse me, when Donnie and Mark get together to make a decision, they need to know everything there is to know about this particular player talent. And it's our job to minimize any risk um, that, that our owner might face because, you know, he's about to make a big investment on a particular individual. So we want to know everything there is to know. So my job is to not only evaluate the talent and the performance, but also gather important information uh, with other coaches or uh, just other representatives of the NBA. And, and I love it because, you know, it's, it's also it gives you the adrenaline because you, you, mm-hmm. you're under pressure to make a decision, especially when it's your opinion. Like you have to give you your honest opinion and there is no back and forth. You have to be direct. And that's the one thing that I love about uh, Mark and Donnie. There is no messing around. Like, and a lot of times they ask you, do you like him or not? And they value that. Is he suitable for a winning environment? Is he the one, is he going to be able to uh, be coached by one of the best coaches of all time, which is not easy. Rick Carlisle, also uh, intellectual coach, but a lot of players have a hard time with smart coaches. Mm-hmm. They don't have a simple system and we don't have it. So all those things go, go into play and, and I just love it. I love it and I have the connections because I play for so long. I mean, I still go into the arenas and they think that I'm still playing. <laughs> uh, I love the fact that you, you, you get to speak to guys that you competed against and, and patch up some, some friction and some fights that you had. A good example is Zach Randolph. We used to fight all the time, him and I, battle on the boards and push and rub and this, uh, you know, call each other names and compete at a high level. So I thought that he was going to be mad at me. <laughs> he ended up, he ended up uh, hugging me and talking to me for a long time, uh, which I was surprised and, and you know, it's just nice to get get around and and see these guys and now the younger guys uh, blossoming into great basketball players. So my job is incredible and I, I love it. I do. Uh, I'm I'm part of the draft, but mm-hmm. I don't know much about college. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you you you're a fan of college. Uh, I, ball, I don't but follow it's not it. As much as casual. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm the same way, yeah. and, and that's that's one of the main reasons that I I stick to the NBA because I my 
I can add more value with mm-hmm. the NBA game because I did play longer and I have more connections at the NBA level than college. I mean, I, I tried college scouting. I To even figure out what will call is yeah. <laughs> was, was tough. Then you don't know the arenas to go through tunnels. I mean, here I, I know everywhere. Yeah, because <laughs> I was there for so long, and yeah, um, my job is my job is incredible, and, and I'm thankful as well, and grateful uh, because Mark and and Donnie they have given me an opportunity to to be a part of something special, especially now that we have Luka Doncic. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. All right, I just got this last question for you, and this is how I end all of the conversations I have with former Mavericks. So I'm, I'm really uh really appreciate your time tonight. Eddie. This has been fun. So, but what I'm looking at right now is the the roster for the 2000-2001 Mavs. So your rookie year, including you, there's 20 names on it. I wanted to see if, how many of the other 19 you could name from your rookie wow. year. Anyone that played a regular season game. So they could have been there just for a little bit or the entire season. So we got the three, the big three, uh, Dirk, Steve, Michael. Yes. Christian Lehner. Sean Bradley, myself. Let's see. This week is tricky. Uh, <laughs> Gary Trent. Yes. Lloyd Bott. Hubert Davis. <laughs> Calvin Booth. Where are we? How many do I have so you far? You have uh, 10 more to go, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mentioned a few of them already throughout the conversation. Well, Juwan Howard is the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm trying to take myself back to uh to a game where where we played uh best was one of them or he was the second year. Oh Travis he was I think maybe the your second fourth year. year. I think maybe your fourth year. Yeah, not that really. Year. Yeah, I think he was I think the fourth it might be my second. Uh, was the kid okay. from uh uh he went to Kentucky. Maybe he's the second year too. You got uh two other rookies that were guys rookies with you what oh so you you even the ones that got traded right oh yeah even the ones that got traded yeah but uh see i'm thinking like more like they're okay so then you, you got obviously Ethan thomas Daniel harvey Courtney alexander <laughs> <laughs> i can i can name them if, if you're ready to throw in the not towel. yet not yet not yet okay it's <laughs> nice, nice a challenge for me let's see one juju Obviously, uh, Zeke, uh, how do you say his name? Last name is Ziki or? Oh, uh, Akizi, Abina. Akizi. Yeah. Abina, yeah. I mean, Abina. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was 20 that played? Yeah, because we made the trade. Yeah, right? the trade. Yeah, so you still just got five more. Um, only like two rotation players and then some guys that didn't play very much. Let's see. Because we made the trade. There's Juan Howard. Who came with us? Man. All right. Finish yeah. him off. <laughs> okay. So you got Mark Bryant. He came at the very yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Greg, Greg Buckner. Oh, my God. I forgot Greg. My yeah. Um, <laughs> a, a guy who barely played only there at the beginning. Bill Curley, who, I, who I've actually I've done one of these episodes with him. Um, you already named all those guys, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Howard Isley. Howard and then last one came near the end to Vernon Maxwell. Mad Max. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
this has been so much fun. So I just wanted to say thanks for your time tonight, Eddie. And, um, you know, I really appreciate it. I'm glad to hear everything's going well for you. And, and I wish you and your family nothing but the best. Sounds good, brother. I appreciate All right, thanks. It. All right, have a great night. All right, talk okay, to you soon. Bye. You too, bye-bye.